Flexmuscle.com brings you Quantum Physiques, building strength and power for your mind, your body, and your spirit. Alternative medicine, muscle growth, mode enhancement, motivation, putting your mind at ease, harnessing your maximum potential. Quantum Physiques, here's your host, Brian Cunningham. What minerals are you probably deficient in that are affecting both your health and your fitness goals? We're going to get into that today and let you know exactly what they are. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Quantum Physiques. This, I'm your host, Brian Cunningham, here on rxmuscle.com, where we help you build strength and power for mind, body, and spirit. I want to welcome my co-host, Jeff, to the show. Hey, what's up, Brian? I guess I've been elevated the co-host, huh? Well, you know, Jeff, I, I like talking with you and doing a little segue. Uh, I, you're on the show every week now, and I do enjoy talking to you. And since we don't get to talk too much uh, during the week, it's always good to take this opportunity to kind of go over some stuff. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. Great. Yeah, I feel bro. honored, man. Cool. You got my back. Um, <laughs> so, Jeff, I, uh, I saw Captain America this week, and uh, I thought it was a really interesting movie. Uh, again, that typical something here that we can relate to is this skinny guy who's like a loser is transformed by the wonders of science into uh, this rough and tumble alpha male. He actually goes into this machine and comes out, as you probably saw in the previews for the movie, uh, sure. really muscular and superhuman. And uh, it's definitely an interesting movie. It's kind of light and uh, you know, 3D is kind of cool, but it's definitely one I recommend you guys check out. And of course, Jeff, that's same motif of the hero plays out over and over again in everything we see. Yeah, and you know, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. A lot of these um, movies that are coming out now are actually based on all these older comics from the 60s and 70s, and it's uh, kind of funny to see what the image of the superhero is, right? He's always this big, hulking, muscular type of uh, perfectly chiseled guy. He has the perfect face. He got the perfect physique. He can do anything. He always has one major flaw, of course. And uh, he, he's, he's the guy who's going to conquer everything. And he is the representation of what I guess most people deem as that's what I have to be. That's what I have to look like in order to be Captain America, in order to be Spider-Man, in order to be Batman. I have to look like that. That is the image of the hero. Yeah. Yes. Well, as we discussed last week, actually, uh, on the show about how the typical Western, uh, I guess, uh, cultural icon is very muscular. And again, this is because science and materialism really has led the West to be much more physically oriented. And that's why we tend to focus on having like the Incredible Hulk or like Arnold, uh, you know, in his prime as our heroes. Whereas on the East, which was much more about the integration of mind body, uh, Bruce Lee or Jet Li, as an example, right, that aren't really as muscular, but are definitely more zen. Like, almost like more like Neo in the Matrix in a sense too, right? Thin, uh, athletic, but way more integrating that uh, quantum, I guess, level of energy or power really is what it comes down to. They have a quantum power that goes beyond being able to deadlift seven, 800 pounds. You know what I mean? Oh, sure, sure. And, and, and you know, it's funny. Um, after you had mentioned Bruce Lee last week, I went back and I saw one of my favorite movies. Uh, well, actually, I saw a few of them. I believe Enter the Dragon is the one where he fights the, of course, invincible Chuck Norris, correct? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I went back and I watched that. And you know you know the whole fight scene at the very end with, like, the cat, and he lets out that, meow, and, you know, both of them start fighting. Just, right. just, before, just before they start fighting, uh, both of them go into this, like, um, uh, uh, this, like, stretching sequence where they're all performing a self-chiropractic exam and uh, <laughs> cracking every possible air bubble in their, in, their, in their bodies and joints. And I looked at Bruce Lee's physique, 
Of, of, of course, which can never compare to the hairiness of Chuck Norris, uh, <laughs> just, just pure man. But um, I looked at Bruce Lee, and I mean, the guy was, in fact, I, I mean, obviously into the physical culture. He was obviously into lifting weights. And, you know, I, I know a little bit about Bruce Lee to know enough that he did appreciate you know, lifting weights in order to get that muscular build. And he understood the balance between, again, having the mind, having having the spiritual connection, but also having that physical connection. Like, there is something to be said. I mean, he, I, to me, he was beyond that athletic build. He actually had a very chiseled, almost, I guess, like, bantamweight bodybuilder type of build. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he definitely did, without a doubt. And like you said, he definitely did integrate it a lot. You know, I took uh, Kung Fu for many years, and uh, we used to fight our teacher, our sensei. Um, he would be blindfolded, and he'd be fighting two of us with brown belts, and he was routinely able to defeat us, believe it or not, blindfolded. And he told me stories of his masters, which came from China. I guess, I mean, this goes back, Kung Fu, of course, to the Shaolin Monastery, uh, which were very, I guess, you know, is a, is a sacred tradition back there. But uh, he told me that his master was able to fight people blindfolded uh, and also get this now he could actually hit them he was an old guy I guess you know the typical ancient Chinese secret kind of thing sure but he was able to hit people in such a way that he would actually move them like several feet like big guys like this guy weighed maybe like 100 pounds and the guys who were fighting were bigger but using chi using the power of chi he was able to move people further than what he could have done with his physical power alone so there definitely is something going on with this that is um, you know that, that's worth looking into yeah, you know, actually, there's there's a martial art. It's called um, it's called it's called a keto, and that one actually is based on the principle that you were saying to use the other person's energy and the other person's yeah. key to you know I guess you know not obviously in some mystical in some mystical way use it, but to actually use the the force that they're generating physically and kind of reverse it or redirect it. Actually, it's not necessarily a a reversal. You would. You would you would you position yourself where you're allowing the natural energy flow that this person is generating to go elsewhere. Um, That's right. And you know to actually defeat the opponent by using his own, um, you know, I guess I guess advances. So sure. yeah, I'm, I'm I'm totally into that uh, that uh, that type of martial art. And you know, I think correct me if I'm wrong, but Aikido I think is the one where they actually want to defend the you know where you seek to actually defend yourself and the other person. I, I mean, I know there's a martial right. art. I think it may be Aikido where the goal is to hurt nobody, so it's well, to defend you know, the other person as well. Yeah, I, I, I th- yeah, I think the actual goal is to end the combat, and 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 yeah. and, and once you end it, uh, you know that's that's where you can you know begin to get to the bottom of what the hell is really going on here. Like you know what, where was the conflict? Uh, yeah. But 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 yes, the 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 entire purpose of of aikido, from what I remember, because I almost took it, I never <laughs> I, I never got into that particular martial art, but I, I was very interested in it, and um, it was primarily to end. The fighting to end the combat. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know what's fascinating is that, you know, this same energy that comes to us in the physical forces uh, as uh, of an opponent, for example, also come to us, uh, Jeff, in an emotional sense, too. Now, you and I have had a few conversations off the air, and we've talked about this, about how to actually, um, you know, disarm an opponent on, on an emotional level. Now, I'm not saying that people are opponents, per se, because a lot of times we're conversing with our loved ones or with our family and friends, but they do come at you with a certain energy, right? A certain polarity, in a sense, right? And, you know, the same principles apply here actually and you know a lot of my clients when I was a trainer back at Equinox would often ask me uh, questions to this nature and you know it's really 
easy to disarm people if you can be present and just ask them simply, you know, what can I do to help you, basically? Because what you're doing is they're coming at you with, say, a certain charge, a certain polarity. And typically what happens, as you know, Jeff, is we get defensive. And so we try to butt heads with them in a sense, right? We try to match energy. You want to come and be negative? I'm going to be positive and I'm going to, I'm going to butt you in the head in a sense. And so what this, I guess, emotional or verbal Aikido does is it totally disarms your opponent because you're shifting by being aware, of course, the nature of the dynamic to how can I help you? How can I ease your pain? And so the person then realizes there's no resistance, right, to what they want. And it really does do a lot to neutralize those emotional charges as well. Does that make sense to you? Well, I mean, of course, but I think a lot of the times when people come to you with some type of, uh, you know, emotional energy that that is basically uh, trying to communicate something that they're not really being too clear about. So what they do is they hit you with all this uh, energy. They hit you with all this, uh, you know, whether it be anger or sadness or just or just rage. And, you know, I think that that comes from frustration and it comes from a place where people are trying to determine how can I communicate with this person who's not understanding what I'm saying? So what they begin to do is they they believe that if they get louder, the person's going to hear. It's almost like trying to communicate with a person who can't speak the same language. It's like, look, the guy doesn't speak English. He's not understanding you. If you speak very slowly, you're still speaking a foreign language to these people. So I've learned uh, just just over time, you know, you 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 cannot fight fire with fire. That's the most unintelligent, uninspired, unwise thing to do. Especially when someone is coming at it from an emotional standpoint, you need to be able to just stop. And it's a lot easier said than done, but you know, stop, hear the person and say, look, you're right. So what do you really mean? Yeah, I mean, and the key you hit upon right there is to be aware, to be awake, because if you're not, if you're just in the matrix, in this, I guess, mechanistic, uh, you know, domino series, really cause and effect, cause and effect, ad nauseum, then the cause of you reacting and justifying you getting angry is, well, this person, right, this bitch or this idiot or whatever, this asshole <laughs> is attacking me, therefore I'm justified in doing what I'm doing. But that is the, the matrix, that is the domino, the mechanistic reaction. As you said, if you can wake up and, and catch your breath and be centered in like almost like the eye of the hurricane, right? Then you're like, wow, you know what? I can choose how to act here. I'm not reacting. And then right action will arise spontaneously. And usually what happens is, believe it or not, at that deeper level of awareness, you act from compassion. You act from, I guess, what you might want to call love in a sense, because you realize here's another poor, pathetic little monkey like myself with a splinter in his hand, right? So <laughs> he's attacking me because he's got a splinter. Let me go pull the splinter out. And see how I can help this person. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but if you're not, if you don't practice presence, if you don't practice awareness, then you can't wake up in the middle and diffuse those polarized energies coming from, uh, from the people around us. You know, this is really funny, but, uh, you know, just, just before we went on the air to, to record this, uh, you know, you know, had, you had already mentioned to me ahead of time that you saw Captain America and I was like, no, you know, whatever you do, please don't spoil it. (laughs) And, you know, I know obviously you wouldn't spoil it by telling me what the ultimate plot was, but it's, it's kind of interesting. The way that you could really spoil it is by telling me what happens at the end, like how, like how he defeats, you know, the bad guy. And, yeah. and, and, and then you would, you would then explain what the motive is of the bad guy. So you're sitting there for two hours, two and a half, three hours watching this battle come by because both of these guys inspired each of their crews to do this thing. And usually, when you get to what the plot is, when you get to what the bottom line is, the guy is motivated by some petty, ridiculous notion or some off-the-wall conspiracy theory 
that has no truth in fact. It's just because of the experiences of his life, he came to this wacky conclusion. So if you understand that you may have the exact same flaw and you may be looking at an argument from a standpoint of, wow, uh, you know, this person is really plotting against me and I'm paranoid and I know that they've been building this up. You know, you may just turn out to be an idiot when the guy just kind of had a bad day and gave you a bad look and rubbed you the wrong way and he pretty much likes you. He just, you caught yeah. him on a bad day, man. He's not plotting yeah. against you. He's not trying to gather evidence to, 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 to kind of crush you or anything like that. So, Again, it's 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 uh it's a very difficult place to come from. It's 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 difficult to be in the moment. Oh yeah, it is. And that's why, you know, I think, believe it or not, and I'm gonna do a show on this coming up in the near future, that athletes and bodybuilders are actually closer to uh, Zen or enlightenment than they realize. And again, I said this before in many shows that the, pre- the, the practice of having a heavy weight or of doing like complex movement, like say a stiff-legged deadlift, you actually have to tune into your body. You have to be very present to execute, execute those moves with heavy weights and not hurt yourself as an example. And again, Eckhart Tolle said that awareness or deeper levels of presence happen inside the body, not outside actually. And so I really think athletes and bodybuilders are already three steps ahead of everybody else because we're already naturally tuning into our bodies on a regular basis yep absolutely i i I just went to the gym today and you know i always like to lift heavy like i always say to you and i always like to you know rep it out and make sure i can go heavy on my best body parts and everything else like that but um you know today i had to step back i had to i had to say to myself all right it's not going to be a heavy day and you know uh I, i i wouldn't be able to tell you five people at the gym today yeah. I was so focused on making sure that I was going to do the right thing. And it was a crowded gym. And I wanted a very crowded time later than normal. I would not be able to tell you what anyone was wearing, what they were saying. I couldn't tell you about the fat girl on the treadmill that we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't even know if these people were there because I was focusing on myself. I was making sure that I was doing the right thing so that I would prevent this uh, disaster from happening. And I would kind of... Focus on the end result of the, you know, positive muscle growth and making sure that I can come back next time because I love to do it so much. But again, you know, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe, uh, maybe it's uh, Zen and the Art of Bodybuilding or the other way around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a great book. Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance is a great book. It's a classic, actually, in English literature. Uh, and it really does introduce uh, the Western world to the idea of Buddhism and how doing everything. Again, it comes back to what Tom Terwilliger said, how you do anything is how you do everything. And again, really, you know, by being present and not judging other people and tuning into your body, you start to become aware of deeper layer, levels or layers of, of consciousness, I guess, in a sense, that really... Um, can change your life. I mean, I can't even begin to get into, you know, again, we've had this discussion before, the movie Hero, uh, you know, uh, The Matrix, you know, every single m- movie that has that idea is about these deeper levels of consciousness, really. And uh, a little series that, of course, I, I was obsessed with for a long time called uh, Game of Thrones, right? Oh, yeah. Even Game of Thrones, for sure, without a doubt. There's a lot to do, a lot of, I guess, spirited or spiritual insights in that, in that show right there, really. How there's no good and evil, right? Because the good guys are bad and the bad guys are good and everyone's mixed up and killing everybody. It, it really. Yep. And, 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 that's, and that's the epitome of life, truly, because everyone yeah. thinks that everyone's doing this other thing and you're always focusing on this one thing over here to your left and everything on your right is really what the reality is. And, you, and, 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 and you're so blind because you're motivated by your own either selfish ideals or just an ideal that, that was conjured up in your own brain. Exactly. 
Exactly. You know, I did. Um, I want to get into the question of the week so we can get into our guest uh, soon since there's already, uh, we, you and I talk forever here, of course. Tell me about um, it. Yeah, I know. So, you know, I got this question of the week. And again, listeners, uh, once again, you know, submit me a question of the week. If I pick it, you're going to get a free bottle of my stress and anxiety product, Gabitrol, which you can get a free sample of on the website, uh, www.rxstress.com. And today's question is, now people have asked, can you do more stuff on quantum physics since it is kind of cool, I guess. And today's question is from Kat Lee, uh, and she will get a, a free bottle of my uh, Gabitrol. And she asks, what is the Higgs boson and why is it so important? And I got to tell you, Kat, I have no idea. <laughs> but actually, uh, I did, I, I, I have heard of it before. I did uh, look it up and it turns out, I guess the reason why she asked this question, uh, Jeff, is because there are these big super particle colliders. I think like CERN is one out in uh, Switzerland somewhere. And then there's one over here we have out in uh, Los Alamos somewhere. I think it's like these big particle colliders. And they're saying that these um, labs or these colliders are getting close to the energy levels required to actually create the Higgs or to, to find evidence of the Higgs boson. Now the Higgs boson, just so you know, is a, is a quantum particle. It's the only quantum particle that physics has not yet found physical proof for. For neutrinos, for photons, uh, for quarks, they found experimental evidence to back that up. Uh, and again, now everything in our lives is based on quantum physics. I mean, the, the computer that Jeff and I are working off of here, uh, cell phones, uh, you know, everything you can imagine, TV, medicine, modern medicine with surgery and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, everything is based off of physics and quantum physics. So this is really the, um, the, the tour de France of how our reality is, is orchestrated. And this is the one particle they can't find that they need to, to really, I guess, cement or prove that current modern physics is actually, um, I guess, you know, is actually a complete model and they don't got to scrap it and go back to the drawing board, put it that way, right? So what they're saying is now that by next year, 2012, again, the Mayan calendar, <laughs> they actually will have enough um, energy to hopefully create or test for this Higgs, uh, Higgs boson or Higgs particle. Now this- That's something we're going to have to look know. up after the show, man. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Get this. It's been called the God Particle. And uh, I know this because there's a book out there called The Physics of Immortality written by a physicist called Frank Tipler. And Frank actually is uh, at like Princeton or Cambridge somewhere. He's, he's a very respected physicist. And he wrote a book called The Physics of Immortality. And what he gets into is the fact that, and this is even what Stephen Hawking and a lot of other people have said that, you know, uh, when you understand the mechanisms of how this universe works, this reality works, it's really easy to look in the future at um, you know a life being able to evolve the ability to resurrect all the information, which again, all we really are, DNA is just information, right? From the formless, right? From the formless comes the inform or the information. So, you know, just like, you know, a good joke is a good idea. It's good information. It gets shared. A bad joke doesn't get shared. Good genes get shared and passed on and bad genes don't get passed on. So it's all about information. And in the matrix, that whole green screen there is just bits of data, ones and zeros, ones and zeros that actually create this information that we call our universe. Our brains, of course, are sophisticated computers with the right software that can interpret the data coming in and can actually make, make it into reality. So what Tipler was saying is that if they can prove the Higgs boson exists, the God particle exists, then it gives his theory that in the future, 
life will be able to resurrect every single person that ever existed into a virtual reality heaven where everything is perfect. It gives his theory uh, much more plausibility. And so there is this idea of reality being not reality in a sense, right? Even, uh, what's his name? Stephen Hawking said that reality is made of uh, these dreamy particles called virtual reality particles. So it's pretty interesting stuff, I guess, the insights and what this Higgs boson could do both for physics and quantum physics, but also for the, uh, I guess, the philosophical implications of, of life and how we live our life and what comes after this life, actually. Uh, and with that said, I'm going to send uh, Cat Lee a free bottle of Gabitrol, and we're going to take a quick break and come back with our guest. Once again, this is Quantum Physiques. I'm your host, Brian Cunningham. Stay tuned for this quick break. We'll be right back. Quantum Physiques, building strength and power for your mind, body, and spirit. Shaker Pro has designed the most innovative shaker in the fitness and bodybuilding world. Shaker Pro is the only shaker where the powder and liquid are stored separately and mixed together at the exact moment you desire. Mixing occurs in the closed Shaker Pro system. That means no more mess, just a perfect shake guaranteed. Preparation takes place anytime, anywhere, in the car, at work, or in the locker room. No need to transport separate ingredients with you. The Shaker Pro is an all-in-one solution for everyone with an active lifestyle. The patented Shaker Pro chamber system guarantees that the mixing and blending of the ingredients will always produce a perfect shake every time. Simply twist, shake, and enjoy. Find out more about the Shaker Pro at 4sportlife.com. That's the number 4, sportlife.com. Hydrolyze Ultra, the leader in cellular hydration water. Hydrolyze Ultra water has been designed by shrinking and reshaping molecules to allow a faster and more sustained delivery into your cells. Our cellular water has gone through a magnetism and laser treatment process, along with adding electrolytes to our special ingredients. This allows all nutrients to be absorbed at a maximum cellular state. By using Hydrolyze Ultra, all nutrients, supplements, and carbohydrates you consume will be absorbed at a greater rate. Lactic acid gets flushed faster, and you'll feel fully hydrated. Get the advantage that top athletes have achieved. Try Hydrolyze Ultra today. Visit HydrolyzeUltra.com. That's HydrolyzeUltra.com. P28 High Protein Bread is the official bread of RX Muscle. Are you looking to incorporate more protein into your meals or just want to enjoy bread again? Then look no further. Try the 100% natural P28 High Protein Bread. P28 High Protein Bread is a formulated revolutionary breakthrough product. Packed with whey protein isolate, 14 grams of protein per slice, 12 grams of carbs, 8 essential amino acids, and made with 100% whole wheat. Fear bread no more. Build a better body with P28. Order today at HighProteinBread.com. P28 is also now available at Bodybuilding.com and many other retailers. Order now. HighProteinBread.com. P28 Bread. RX Muscle approved. RxMuscle.com. Now you have a place to turn when you want the truth on bodybuilding, diet, and exercise, up to the minute news, and more. Visit the RxMuscle.com forums featuring celebrity Q and A's with IFBB professional athletes, top amateurs, and the brightest minds in the industry. Listen to our weekly radio shows, including Heavy Muscle Radio, Muscle Girls Inc., After Hours, and more. Contest coverage, videos, even our own social networking site, RxMuscle Place. Visit RxMuscle.com. Welcome back to Quantum Physiques. I'm your host, Brian Cunningham, where we 
strive to build strength and power for mind, body, and spirit. Our next guest is back by popular demand. He had an overwhelming, um, I guess, following or, or popularity on the boards, uh, and he was really uh, kind enough to give a lot of people personalized attention, you know, answering questions and everything. So he is well known on these boards. And without further ado, I want to welcome Dana Hauser. Dana, how are you? Uh, not too bad, Brian. Great. It's good to have you back on, Dana. Uh, good to be back. And once again, if you guys want to reach Dana, you can reach him at medicalmuscle.net. That's his website. And uh, Dana, I want to ask you a quick question here. Go off on one tangent before we get into it. Now, in the beginning wow. of the show, beginning of the show, I had a teaser about what minerals are people probably deficient in that are affecting both their health and fitness. And that's going to be the first question I'm going to ask you related to the show. But I want to ask you a question that came out. A recent study came out, uh, was published, uh, I guess, by the NIH. And it said that uh, cellular stress can induce... Uh, cells or yeast in particular to promote prion formation and what they're showing here is that when cells are stressed it can actually cause misfolded proteins to uh, to accumulate which of course as we know can lead to something as scary as neurodegenerative diseases um, you know Kreutzfeldt Jacob disease or mad cow disease is thought to be from these prions and Dana I didn't my question is, is it possible that other forms of stress, I think in this particular study, I'm not sure if you're familiar about, with it or not, but is it possible that stress um, you know, on a variety of different, I guess, um, in different ways can cause, I guess, prions to appear in the body or in cells that could, in, in fact, affect us in, in the far future in our own personal lives? Uh, you know, Brian, I'm not, I'm not familiar with the study you mentioned here, but, um, you know, I think that that the the fundamental, at least uh, the fundamental idea behind it, uh, sounds certainly reasonable. Um, there are plenty of uh, things that approximate uh, approximate various forms of illness when you know the body itself is taxed. Um, I don't know if I, I should bring back up the uh, the micronutrient vitamin C based on its response uh, from a few <laughs> weeks back. But in any event, uh, you know, vitamin C in particular, when deficient, you know, the body actually uh, uh, sort of uh, mounds a, a almost flu-like uh, syndrome or prodrome that, that sort of uh, takes over. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as correcting said deficiency that will uh, sort of amend that process. Um, prions are a little different. Um, you know, kind of a... a, a uh, thing where I, I don't know that they could suggest that there is a, a definitive link made between uh, nutrient deficiency, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me. Again, I apologize for not uh, not being familiar with the study you're mentioning, but... No, no, it's um, okay. I just I figured you could give me an educated opinion. I mean, there's one thing here. One of the researchers, this was published in July 22nd issue of the journal Molecular Cell, and the senior author, Wilkinson, uh, had said here now that... Um, the mechanism may say more about other types of protein aggregates than about classical prions and humans, and that this mechanism of seeding and growth may be more important for aggregate formation in disease states such as Huntington's disease. Uh, this is one of the quotes I'm getting from from the uh, the lead author there in that study. So I, I just wanted to ask you again. It was one of my crazy tangents. I thought it was kind of interesting because uh, prions do scare me. Um, you know, I think everybody should be scared of number one. Uh, you know using cell phones next to their head because of the alteration of the blood-brain barrier permeability. There's more evidence mounting for that. But also, I think this idea of prions causing diseases is something that, that, that I'm personally concerned about, uh, Dana. Yeah. I, I think there's certainly a reason for, you know, said concern. It's, it's, it's uh, 
Uh, it's something that I think perplexes us to this day. I don't know that we've sort of got the entire prion uh, offering ironed out, but um, it you know it's certainly something that uh, uh, you, you pose interesting hypotheses here. And, and, and I'm not sure, like I said, I'm not sure I have a a best answer, so to speak, but uh, uh, certainly intriguing nonetheless. Yeah, it's just proof of thought. That's my, the whole idea is to get as much proof of thought as I can out there so people can start doing their own research. Because, you know, Dan, one thing uh, after having numerous guests on the show that I want to encourage our listeners to is that it's your life, it's your it's your goals in, in the gym, and it, the results really come down to you. And so you've got to be the expert, not myself or Dana, actually. You can draw from us as much as possible, but in the end, it's you tuning into your body and to your health that's really going to determine the ultimate outcome of, of the results you get, both in the gym and in your life, actually. So that's really what it comes down to on this show, Dana. Absolutely. Now, I want to segue this into where we left off on our last show with you, Dana. In the last episode, Dr. Dana Hauser was, actually, in all truth, we were about to get into the thyroid gland, and then we were cut off because we didn't have enough time. And that really is where my question was about minerals that people are deficient in or that may be deficient in that are affecting both their health and their fitness goals. And Dana, I think based on at least the epidemiological evidence um, that two important minerals I think people really need to pay attention to are magnesium and iodine, especially the latter one for thyroid function. I think there really is a uh, perhaps a subclinical deficiency of both of these actually in this country. I know that in Japan, for example, where they use seaweed as fertilizer and they have thousands of times more iodine in their diet, incidents of, uh, of breast cancer and other conditions are, or actually even thyroid malfunction are much lower than over here. So can you maybe pick up where we left off with these two minerals and the thyroid gland and give us your whole grill on all of them. <laughs> um, sure. We'll, we'll kind of back up for a second. We'll kind of illustrate a point because I think the, the thyroid um, probably slightly elusive to even probably the most astute scientists. So uh, in the grand scheme of things, you know, some of the, something that I think a lot of people can relate to is the, the notation or notion of uh, eating multiple small meals throughout the course of a day. Um, again, kind of putting everybody on the same base, you know, the same... Um, uh, the same train of thought, at least, here, uh, is that, you know, when we do this kind of thing, it would be superior for either fat loss and concurrent muscle gain uh, than a standard three-square-meal-style approach. And, 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 and I'll kind of get to my point here. Um, so your, your body needs constant supply of, of nutrients. And, and, you know, we can talk about, my, you know, the micronutrients, the vitamins and minerals. Um, I think there's certainly uh, one that actually stands out a little bit more to me uh, outside of even iodine. Um, would be uh, selenium in this process of, of, of talking the thyroid. Um, selenium is something that I kind of consider the male folic acid, uh, something that certainly is uh, uh, not only prevalent in the essence of thyroid uh, hormonal production, but in the same sense also uh, proper testicular functioning and, and, and such. And, and the problem with a lot of these things, and people don't necessarily get this, is uh, you know once you actually take various uh, nutrients in, um, they'll actually sort of uh, battle out alternative nutrients at the same time. Um, some can kind of act uh, uh, to sort of help assimilate that and at the same time actually deplete it. And uh, calcium is probably the best example in that realm, but uh, I'm going to go back to this uh, small meals per day. Um, you, you, you know, one of the major things there is that, uh, you know, you, you kind of hope to keep the thyroid gland functioning properly. Um, you know, uh, for anybody who's not familiar, just sort of this, uh, as we usually quote it, a butterfly sort of style gland in the neck. Um, 
that'll actually help regulate metabolism. I'm actually going to kind of equate the two terms uh, and at least use them interchangeably here for a minute. Um, I think that oftentimes, you know, the thyroid is, is, is highly overlooked, and, you know, whether it's relation to obesity or uh, disease state and or chronic stress states and so forth, um, it, you know, it's probably the most overlooked gland in the body. Um, I think the, uh, the adrenal gland steals a lot of its thunder, so to speak, but, you know, thyroid hormones themselves will actually control activity of every sort of organ, uh, and, and, like I said, subsequently, the, the speed of metabolism as a result. Um, one of the things that we do is we actually would, you know, decrease our calories in the essence of uh, uh, seeking out the svelte physique. Um, and, and doing that, especially in any precipitous fashion, you know, your body senses disaster and, and, and pretty much a lot of things slow down, the thyroid being a big one. Um, you know, when the thyroid's subsequently underactive, uh, you know, you kind of are affecting your overall uh, uh, caloric sort of intake and outtake, you know, outtake or output. Uh, over the course of a, of a, of a 24-hour period, um, you'll actually send out subsequently fewer thyroid hormones. Uh, and I can get into various, you know, things that people can suggest, hey, this is a hypothyroid or low thyroid production or uh, euthyroid sick syndrome is oftentimes a, a, a sort of term that's thrown out, uh, especially when talking about dietary uh, offering. Uh, uh, you know, I kind of get back to some of these minerals, um, Selenium, in and of its own right, uh, is is something that there's a little mixed you know, message that goes out. We had a uh, there was actually a study, um, oh gosh, I probably say within the last year or two, maybe, um, suggesting that it would actually you know contribute to uh, frank diabetes. Um, and because there are so many interactions, it's very challenging for for that to really uh, really happen. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, there are so many checkpoints in, in place um, that it's actually challenging for the, for the body to, to experience said things. You know, they're doing these things nicely in Petri dishes and everything. It doesn't always translate. Um, as, but, but, yeah, so, I mean, you can get a, a said uh, a nutrient or micronutrient that will actually uh, uh, affect other uh, micronutrients, the best of which is, uh, like I said, calcium. Calcium is sort of this bully molecule, and it'll uh, do some very, very strange things. You, you talked about, uh, um, you know, it, well, I, I'll kind of back up for a second. We actually talked about, uh, uh, you know, various things like magnesium, and magnesium can have a dual role with calcium in place. Uh, sometimes uh, magnesium will actually assist in uh, the assimilation of, of um calcium and, and vice versa, and, you know, the, the same is true. It can actually deplete one another, so it's, uh, it's a very strange uh, phenomenon. Um, and and this, is, this happens at, with virtually every, every micronutrient we talk about, and as a result, it's kind of slowing down that process. I bring up the, you know, various meals per day because once you're kind of doing this thing, you're actually playing a vital role in your assimilation of key micronutrients by eating multiple small meals a day. You know, your body's going to get that constant supply, and that's really what's going to fuel metabolism. You know, you are, let's say, eating three meals a day, and the various signals that are sent between both the gastrointestinal tract and the thyroid gland, and uh, actually even up further to the, to the hypothalamus or, uh, of the brain, are uh, uh, sort of slowed down if you're, if you're eating that few, uh, few feedings per day. 
Uh, and it's actually kind of one of those things, a lot of people talk calories and caloric inputs and outputs, and it's not really that which is the concern. Um, you know, your body can, can sort of do its thing. Uh, obviously, uh, some types of uh, fatty acids and, and uh, essential amino acids aside, uh, the body can't you know, exactly produce those things, but um, it can very well function uh, uh, you know, in various uh, macronutrients uh, depleted states a lot better than it can without the micronutrients, without the vitamins and minerals. So as you're doing this kind of thing, as you're, as you're slowing things down, your body will kind of hold on to various foodstuffs a lot longer uh, in order to actually increase uh, the continual message and uh, flow between uh, the, the gut and the brain, you know, as it's kind of uh, uh, passing these food material through. Um, and this actually played back because I know uh, in one of the subsequent shows we actually talked with, uh, or you, uh, uh, you had Jeff uh, talking to you about uh, uh, exactly the um, uh, what do we call it the uh, you know the, the liquid foods and the liquid meals and you know we can kind of go off on that tangent in a moment. Sure. But, um, you know, you, you, by actually decreasing the number of meals, again, your body has its, its way to kind of slow down transit because it actually wants to increase the amount of time it's in contact with said. Uh, foodstuffs, so it can actually extract the, the the various micronutrients it needs. This, this really doesn't come down to a simple uh, argument of proteins, uh, uh, carbohydrates, and fats for 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 any uh, means. But um, you know, and people are constantly constantly uh, altering this, in, in in like I said, in search of that svelte physique, in search of that uh, uh, that quote unquote ripped look. Um, I think it's it's very a challenging look to describe. Actually, uh, most people, you know, you kind of actually try and get to what they want to accomplish, uh, and and that's very challenging to, to to sort of ascertain. But in any event, you know, you have it sort of beginning there on the on the intake level where you've got these three components sort of interacting. You know, the amount of you know meals that you're putting in your body, uh, the re- relative assimilation of minerals, and uh, as a result, the, the, the essential thyroid output, uh, your body will, in fact, slow its metabolism down, uh, slow its metabolism down as a, as a sort of a response to uh, making uh, um, this sort of interaction or interplay between what's going through your gastrointestinal tract and, and kind of grabbing the, the sort of vital nutrients that it needs uh, and slow it down to an almost uh, screeching halt um, and this happens constantly as people are, you know, dieting down or, or, or what have you, or going on even, I'd say, a crash diet or something along those lines. Um, you know, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll kind of affect that. Uh, again, I mentioned that I was going to use the, the term metabolism and uh, thyroid interchangeably, and, and as anyone listens to this, they can kind of go back and, you know, wherever I said metabolism, you can kind of just insert thyroid and vice versa. You can, you know, wherever I said metabolism, you can, you know, sure. I mean, it's, 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 it's uh, so quintessential. I mean, uh, so many things affect it. Um, I don't know is that it's solely minerals, but the minerals are actually the things that are sort of uh, energizing various you know, enzymatic processes and, 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 and things whereas your kind of, you know, your thyroid output is ultimately going to be regulated. Um, you talked to uh, 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 Gary Knoll some time ago, and uh, I had some, some things to say about his message on soy. Um, 
that's got you know some some detrimental effects playing into uh, this whole equation. Um, you know, actually, Dana, just you know, a quick uh, just a quick side note there, um, and I I'm, I think you find this interesting. I may have asked you this question uh, on email. You know, Life Extension, which is pretty reputable, they have got a lot of MD PhDs on their board. Just came out with a very long article last month defending soy. I mean, did you happen to read that article? Uh, I didn't read the article, but uh, you know, I. It's interesting that you say that. I mean, uh, there was a recent talk by the National Institutes of Health that was actually ta- uh, uh, entitled Soy, uh, Panacea or Poison. Um, <laughs> and they kind of used, yeah, the most up-to-date sort of meta-analyses and so forth. You know, you, a lot of people will sit there and they'll actually say, you know, I want a randomized controlled trial, and that's fine. Um, but we're really not going to get any translation of that data uh, without some meta-analyses. And I, and I know that people will cringe at the term meta-analyses, anybody who's, you know, well-versed in statistics and so forth. And they'll suggest that, oh, God, it was just a meta-analysis or so, you know, something. And we, we know the sure. shortcomings of that offering. But, you know, this is, um, you know, what a lot of these companies are doing in the essence of uh, a lot of this research. And, and that's one of the things that struck me as a little bit um, uh, hard to swallow was that, uh, you know, Gary kind of said he, you know, went through hundreds of studies and, and so forth. And that's fine. Uh, uh, and I said, in fact, they eliminated studies that were um, supplied by uh, the soy industry. Um, and, you know, again, there's, there's a lot of things that will tell us, in fact, um, that soy itself is, is something that plays such a, uh, a harsh role on a lot of the uh, inner workings of uh, uh, hormonal offering in the body. Um, it, it, it's it's something that I don't know that we've got everything sort of established, but you know, and and, and there have been many many of these meta analyses put together that have come to the same conclusion. Uh, you know, we know that there is positive effects on cholesterol, which is fine, and some people will buy into the cholesterol hypothesis, and some people will not. Um, you know, there was a before this National Institutes of Health discussion uh, came up. There was actually probably the biggest uh, meta-analysis that was actually published in 2005, um, actually called the, uh, the Effects of Soy on Health Outcomes. And this was something that examined probably 200-plus studies uh, that actually had uh, daily consumption of soy protein averaging probably about uh, uh, three soy shakes a day, or what would essentially equate into the three soy, soy, soy shakes a day. And then what its subsequent impact would be on health. Like I said, there is a lot of data to suggest it does wonderful things for cholesterol. Um, but even those types of things are uh, very attenuated. And in fact, yeah. you know, it's, it's effect on low-density lipoproteins, or LDL, uh, bad cholesterol, if you will, 3% reduction. Triglycerides, about 6% reduction. You know, not anything that's going to... Uh, be better than even you know shaving off say you know uh, five to ten pounds uh, for some people. Sure. You know, yeah, we say well, you know what? In the, in the essence, we can actually uh, uh, improve blood pressure, systolic blood pressure, by you know lowering it two milli- you know, millimeters of mercury. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. But in the same sense, you get the same benefit from again dropping the same five pounds or so uh, when you actually do all this data out. But in the in the same sense, there's you know a lot of cautionary things. One thing that I usually point out. I actually did this on um, uh, the, the thread, you know, with Gary Null there is, is that there was a very um, well-known 
uh, uh, case report, in fact, that was put in the uh, Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism that actually uh, had documented a, 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 a nice case, actually, on uh, soy-induced gynecomastia. And, you know, I'm sure uh, at least that term isn't uh, something that's foreign to a lot of your listeners um, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, there's not really a lot you can do in, you know, in that realm. Um, there was some data that stretched back suggesting that, uh, and I'm kind of going to draw this back to the thyroid because we were actually on that discussion, um, rather than get into all of the hypogonadal stuff that, that certainly could come yeah. from that discussion. But I don't want to go off too there, much on a tangent on soy. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, I mean wherever we go, it, it, you know, it's, it's always interesting, but um, there was actually some people they put... Uh, uh, that, that people that were actually experiencing what they call subclinical hypothyroidism. So they weren't exactly over, you know, low on the thyroid scale, so to speak, but uh, there was some indication that there was a little bit of a malfunction between the, uh, the thyroid gland itself and the, and the, and the pituitary and uh, hypothalamus. And uh, uh, if they consumed large amounts of soy, they actually all became hypothyroid in, in uh, said study. Um, and this was probably about, mm, I want to say about 60 maybe 70 patients. Uh, I, I don't recall the exact tallies, but um, usually people that uh, consumed it for, and this didn't take a long time either, probably about uh, maybe eight, eight weeks, I'd say probably about two, two months time frame. Um, you know, and they actually compared low phytoestrogen diets and so forth, uh, uh, and that actually was sort of what they equated to a Western diet, um, two milligrams of phytoestrogens a day uh, coming out of about 30 grams of soy protein. Uh, and then a high dose, which would be about 16 milligrams of phytoestrogens comparatively. Um, you know, on the, on the high dose diet, actually, uh, there was actually a much steeper uh, turn to uh, overt hypothyroidism than there was on the lower uh, realm of uh, the soy protein scale. Um, so there's certainly a, you know, I think if there's anything we can draw, it's higher levels of soy protein in and of its own right will certainly wreak havoc, uh, at least on the thyroid axis itself. Um, and and this is one thing that I tried to encourage. It wasn't so much, you know, avoid soy at all costs, but I don't know that it's appropriate at this time, especially for males. Uh, and again, that does sort of tie into the hypogonadism yeah. side of it, but to seek out supplemental sources of it. You know, I think that there's something about in, ingesting it and trying to say, oh my gosh, it has soy, I'm not going to take it, versus saying, okay, well, I'm going to use it as a sole source of my, or, you know, not even necessarily sole, sole source, but as a, you know, component of your, of your dietary supplement uh, sure. regimen, I'm going to actually seek out and use X grams, whatever that may be, fill in the blank, uh, sure. soy protein. Um, yeah. It's, okay. cheap, so it's, it's a cheap, it's a cheap protein product, uh, you know, and there are soy blends that are available. And, uh, and I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as careful as I can in uh, what I suggested about the Life Extension Foundation. I know um, the reputation uh, precedes them, which is fine, um, but at the same time, they're still in it to make a dollar, and they do harbor, uh, you know, soy protein formulas or soy protein-based formulas. Um, that are certainly going to uh, uh, to probably play into some of the things that they say. I mean, I could look at any data, and I can make it either positive or negative, um, looking at the appropriate numbers of studies and so forth that are are, are either pro or con. Uh, and this this kind of goes down the line with any of anything, really. Um, it does. 
I mean, they're not the only yeah. ones that, that that are guilty of uh, of pushing stuff and having maybe a certain bias. I mean, that, that that's kind of prevalent in all human endeavors, where it be it oh, sure. mainstream medicine and pharmaceutical research, um, or the supplements companies, or life extension, or even you and I. I mean, we're all human beings right. and prone to to bias. I definitely agree. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I don't really want to go into soy too much. I mean, one thing I do want to add before we go off um, back into the thyroid and minerals is um, I do think my own personal opinion, guys, is you're best off avoiding it. But I do think that um, fermented soy products like tempeh, I believe, or something are actually, uh, um, quote unquote, safer because the fermentation process does help to get rid of some of those goitrogens or some of those other uh, agents that are of questionable repute. So that, that would be my two cents on that issue. Uh, but let's just keep uh, Yeah, going. I won't refute you. I won't refute you. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yeah. A, a point for, you know, uh, interjection. I, I mean, I, it, is, you know, okay. it is what it is. I mean, I don't know that there's the same level of data that is, you know, available there. So, you know, I, I'll kind of reserve opinion if I can't pre- present it in an objective, you know, objective fashion. Yeah, I mean, and some of this is, is my own opinion. I definitely am I'm a big fan. Uh, and this goes back to a question uh, that you kind of made me think about here about diet, because one thing you didn't mention um, that I think of, uh, there's a thread on the forum, like uh, the thread is, what did you eat today? And, you know, Dana, I got to say over and over and over again, I see these bodybuilders and athletes eating the same thing, which I think of as actually, you know, it's short term good to get you maybe ripped and looking good for the beach or for the stage. But I mean, a diet of brown rice, oats, Ezekiel bread, uh, you know, chicken and egg whites is not going to maintain health long term. I mean, these diets, I think personally, are very defunct of micronutrients. Um, you know, again, in my, my equation, you can, you're more than glad to tear me apart. You know, your health uh, or, or your diet, the quality of your diet, again, it's quality really, is determined by the number of calories divided by the nutrient density of the foods you eat. So if you're having a lot, or even if you're eating like foods that are say, you know, protein like chicken, guys live on egg whites and chicken. And for carbs, complex carbs, brown rice and oats. And that's the mainstay of most bodybuilders diets. I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I really feel that these are very macronutrient poor uh, long-term dietary choices. And again, it's the quality of the food that ultimately determines the amount of minerals that determine the enzymatic uh, processes that affect thyroid function long term yeah you know it's 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 something that, that certainly could be discussed in a number of ways and again here's you know here i'll kind of just play devil's advocate i'll go i'll go pro con on you for a moment sure um you, you know we could suggest that the level of uh depleted dietary offering that, that's suggested by the, the standard bodybuilders diet uh, uh is deficient and defunct at a number of things, and at the same time, we could say the equivalent. Uh, if the if that person were to now increase um, variety, let's say, um, and let's say the weight change as a result of that, uh, you know, and I'm talking even just a, a minor thing because, uh, you know, even like I was talking that 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 five pound uh, offering is 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 not far off. I mean, it would take a simple five pounds to change a lot of disease. Um, uh, disease markers, if you will, uh, blood pressure, cholesterol, so forth, whatever, whatever you, you, you know, uh, your desires of the day are. Uh, if I were to spread the variety of my diet, let's say, um, that could certainly increase the number of pounds, especially if you've now affected that same metabolic furnace that we were talking about with the thyroid itself. 
in that it actually, you know, contributes to a sort of detrimental aspect or detrimental point on your um, physique and subsequent health outcomes just as easily as we can say, hey, well, at the same time, you're not getting the micronutrients, um, the vitamins, the minerals. You know, in our society today, uh, it certainly doesn't behoove a farmer to replenish the soils that are certainly uh, barren of a lot of these uh, micronutrients, and, and we can kind of get uh, on different tangents there I'm going to try and avoid. Um, but, you know, in that same suggestion, we could say, well, you know, at least through supplemental forms, if I'm taking some level of minerals, uh, is that not equivalent? Um, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe years ago, I may not have suggested the same thing as I'd suggest today. Um, you know, that's a, a, a probably another one of those questions that goes to the essence of qualified, de- you know, it depends. Um, because you can, you can kind of see that going in, in, a, in a couple of different ways. Uh, if I'm eating, you know, variety, um, while it may very well be more nutrient replete, um, in some instances, at the same time, it may very well uh, you know, contribute to a uh, not-so-svelte physique, uh, especially if that uh, particular diet has got someone to that homeostatic point that they're, uh, they're saying, you know, let's say, is, is 6 to 10% you know, percent body fat or whatever that may have been, that number have been, um, you know, just kind of modifying that a bit and taking that 6 to 10% to, say, you know, 10 to, to, to 14%, uh, you know, could certainly have the same amount of detrimental outcome um, in the long run. Uh, uh, again, how much mass you're, you're, you're physically carrying, whether that be even fat-free mass or fat mass, uh, it certainly could, could prove interesting. Now, I'm not suggesting your statement is wrong because I really do believe, uh, you know, that you need a, a variety of food uh, stuffs for, you know, various micronutrients and uh, whatever of attainment. You know, people will argue that, you know, is it the same if you're getting it from, from a food source versus an actual uh, a pill in its indoor synthetic form? Um, you know, I don't know that we've we've offered me convincing data to suggest that we you know we can't see uh, equivalent health uh, states uh, you know by that means. I mean, um, I, I'm trying to, to 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 avoid making this a controversial discussion. Uh, no, it's okay. I we know love controversy. It's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> well, about yeah. It. <laughs> I, uh, right you know, I was kind of I'm like I'm like, oh boy, should I, should I tiptoe around the vitamin C efforts, you know, and so forth. I mean, there are just so many things that you won't get. A optimal, you know, and I'll use that term, an optimal daily value supplied by a diet. And there's almost no way you can do such a thing. No, uh, I agree. No way you doubt. can do such a thing, right? To this, I mean, and and, and 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 vitamin C is one of those things. I mean, vitamin C, my gosh, it you is. Know, most people, I, and, and this is a slippery slope too, because most people, you know, you've got vitamin C, and 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 I don't want to encourage because I know the, the cancer discussion came up. I don't want to encourage people to say, okay, well, I'm going to take it at all costs, and lo and behold, I'll never get a tumor. You know, that's, that's kind of one of those... Um, that was never you know, the gist of the conversation, just so you know, because uh, we, you know, we were questioned by that guy about uh, you know, the, the magic potion stuff, and actually sure. the, the doctor who was on there was talking about blending uh, you know, mainstream medicine with complementary medicine when the science supports it. And actually the, 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 the questioner went back and looked at it and says, you know what, you're right. There is published articles in uh, peer-reviewed literature on intravenous vitamin C, semi-benzylated ascor- uh, semi ascorbic acid specifically for tumors, uh, 
specifically breast tumors, in, in, for example. So dietary vitamin C and intravenous vitamin C are two completely different ballgames. Sure. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, but even, you know, even so, the idea of vitamin C, now again, I'm a big fan of Linus Pauling Institute, who is a big advocate of vitamin C research. It is pretty yeah. complex. But, you know, I mean, for example... Yeah, one of the things that you said were, was was very you know quintessential to this discussion. You know, oral versus IV. I mean, it, uh, that, that's a big 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 difference that needs to be understood. And the same thing about you know disease state versus non disease state. So, yeah, I mean, there is a point where too much vitamin C and and and, and Linus Pauling aside, where too much vitamin C becomes a pro-oxidant. So, I mean, there there is an optimization curve that exists. Have we elucidated what that is, what that number is, what that magic number is, where it sort of goes over from being an antioxidant to a pro-oxidant? Uh, not so much, I don't, I don't think. Uh, I'm kind of a, a person who sort of does a sort of moderate dosing protocol for most, and it's usually about 500 milligrams with each meal, but no more than that at a single sitting. Yeah, because uh, the GI tract being, apparently can't even absorb much more than 500 milligrams in uh, in a certain yeah. time period anyway. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you see a lot of formulations out there. That, I mean, you know, 2,000 milligrams. It's like, well, what am I going to do with that? I mean, yeah. a single pill, not much. Um, so, I, you know, it, the things that you say are very, very, very true. I mean, it's just, you know, one of those things when, when, when people are hearing some of these things, I don't want them to, to, to interpret it in a way that uh, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go out and, uh, you know, just start taking vitamin C. It's 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 certainly very different, and the complexities you've described are are certainly a lot different. So, um, you've had some controversial shows. You know that. Well, uh, just, hey, listen. The whole, the whole idea here is stir the pot, right? Let's stir the pot. You done, well, you have done wonders. You know, yeah. uh, you know, as much as people may not have liked what Gary Knoll said, he has uh, he has kind of uh, you know incited yeah. such. Fury yes. and so many people talking about these things that it's been great. Yes, actually, got everybody thinking exactly. Um, so you know, I just want to wrap up the thyroid because I want to move to one of my yeah. questions that I, I sent you on Facebook and you never got back to me on actually. Uh, <laughs> but just give me a, a bottom yeah, line answer here. here. Do you think What's people? Well, do you think, first of all, uh, selenium is a great point. And I think one of the highest concentrations of selenium are found in Brazil nuts. I'm a big fan of Brazil nuts. Number one, I think because they have some healthy, uh, healthy fats, maybe omega-3 fatty acids, but also because they're rich in selenium. But what do you think, though, honestly? Do you think a lot of people should consider, um, you know, I guess supplementing with iodine and with magnesium? Or maybe even maybe, say, buying more sea vegetables to mimic the Japanese diet to get more iodine? I mean, what's your opinion on these two minerals in, in particular? Yeah, I mean, magnesium in and of its own right has so many uses. I mean, there's just every enzyme I could think of offhand, um, and certainly probably not an exhaustive list. I mean, it's probably, say, 400 to 500 different enzymes that work in the body, you know, controlling so many processes uh, are important. Um, but magnesium isn't as easy to understand, I mean, because oftentimes you have to take it in a salt form, and, and realistically, I mean, you're talking about, you know, various salts being absorbed at, such a rate, and then yeah. at the same time, you're also talking about the, the amount of elemental concentration of said mineral that you're getting. Um, that's a hard, that's a hard topic. Um, uh, I, I could say, you know, magnesium orotate, for instance, uh, orotic acid combination is 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 one that has the highest bioavailability, but the amount of elemental magnesium because the orotic acid molecule is so huge is very small. Comparatively, uh, you can use a, a magnesium citrate, let's say. Well, it has very, very poor bioavailability at the same time. You know, I don't know that the concentrations that you're actually making bioavailable are, are wholeheartedly different. Um, but magnesium is one of those things 
uh, and I'm sure most sports supplements to whatever level have some component of magnesium in them. Um, it, it, you know, in 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 that capacity, uh, making certain that things are firing on all cylinders. I think you know, uh, supplemental magnesium is is something that uh, no bodybuilder and or anyone should be without. But this I mean, this is where it gets a little bit more challenging because. You know, you are talking about all of those problems. I had suggested too much calcium. There, that could play out of the role with magnesium, but too much calcium will actually deplete levels of iron and zinc and, and so forth. And then if you get too much copper, well, you might not be able to absorb or use the zinc that you're, you know, ingesting at the same time. Or if you get too much iron, you know, maybe you're not, you know, uh, using the, the appropriate amounts of phosphorus or zinc, too much manganese. You know, you're, you're not able to, you know, absorb iron. And, and, and I can go on and on about, you know, the various interactions, molybdenum. You know, there's a lot of uh, issues with zinc and copper uh, absorption, phosphorus. You know, that, that plays back into the calcium offering sulfur. Uh, and just your regular proteins will, will actually hinder molybdenum-style uh, absorption. And zinc itself uh, becomes a sort of an antagonist sometimes to copper. And at the same time, sometimes they, they, they need to be supplemented uh, almost apart from one another. Again, one of those things, my plates are certainly that uh, multivitamins are terrible for, for said reason. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of issue that plays into that. So, again, depending upon, you know, goal, uh, magnesium is, a, is, is actually a good one. Um, I'd kind of probably, for the most part, separate it from any calcium ingestion, but uh, like I said, at some point, calcium can actually help it. Magnesium for, for for all bodybuilders and in intensive purposes really need to ingest uh, higher or, or perhaps copious tallies of uh, of that particular one. As far as iodine, um, plus minus to that, plus minus to that, um, <laughs> you are going to find someone, uh, you know, probably suggesting at least in this, you know, in the in the United States at least um, that we're not. The bodybuilders probably a little bit different. You know, salt intake is watched a lot more rigidly and so forth. Um, I, well, in certain instances, of course, there are salt loading phases and things like that that could be, uh, you know, partaken. But, but I mean, in, in the grand scheme, um, is it something that you can do that would also throw your thyroid off? It's a very complex axis, and at the same time, uh, you know, very little things can throw your homeostasis off very, very readily. Um, sometimes you want that. You know, we talk about, you know, diet variety. Sometimes you want that. I think that there are some adaptation things that you'd rather not have happen. Um, you know, and, and at the same time, um, you know, too much iodine, because it's a tricky thing, uh, could certainly sway you in a direction that uh, uh, may do just the same as restricting the number of meals per day. So, I mean, it's... Iodine's a little trickier. Iodine's a little trickier. I would at least make sure that you're getting, you know, minimally required uh, values so as not to be deficient. Uh, and whether that means you actually physically calculate out what your dietary intake might might contain, um, and then add in any supplemental forms, and so be it. Um, is it necessary? I don't know. There's a lot of things to do to modify the the, the thyroid axis that um, that will certainly certainly uh, aid that plight in and of its own right um, you know just just something as simple as increasing the number of meals per day rather than and 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 perhaps it's very much so um, something that could at least uh, offer confounding variable maybe it is that eating more meals will offer you time to uh, explore more foods that may have more iodine or more magnesium or more selenium or or whatever that list is and 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 you know so very very 
I think it's a difficult discussion. I mean, it's a, that's a, a discussion that you kind of have to uh, make all-encompassing, and there are so many different things to sort of take into account there. So. Yeah, there definitely yeah. are. Actually, uh, you know, it's funny, Dan, I actually wrote an article about iodine a few years ago because uh, one of the doctors that I'm a big fan of, uh, Dr. Majid Ali, who has a radio show up here, had uh, a Dr. Brownstein, who's the thyroid specialist, on his show. And I actually took notes. I'm, I'm so into this stuff. I took notes on this whole thing on iodine. <laughs> and if anybody wants me to email them my iodine crib notes, uh, you can reach me. Um, well, you know what? Just go onto Facebook and look uh, up Quantum Physiques and email me there. And I will email you my iodine crib notes because I got a lot of stuff. I'm going to email you this, Dana, after the show so we can maybe make this a next section of our show, actually. Yeah, you know, and alternatively, and this might be just sort of an idea I'm pondering here, is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, becoming more and more active, at least on RX Muscle. Um, you know, it might be something that you even offer up as a, as a component to the, uh, the thread, you know, as... Sure, as that's another the idea. Yeah, within the actual embody it within the, you know, the, the thread itself. It might be something that... Uh, uh, certainly would benefit everybody and actually get a lot of discussion going. So, Yeah, that's a great idea, actually. Uh, you know, we're probably going to be wrapping up soon. I just want to get to one of the questions that I emailed you on Facebook on, actually. Um, <laughs> and it is about uh, testosterone boosters, because I know you know quite a bit about these things. These are natural, over-the-counter agents. Uh, you are a big fan of uh, of Tribulus, I guess. And I went and looked it up. I, I did a lot, a lot of searching into your threads. And I asked Patrick Arnold as well, uh, who also is another resident guru in this industry, of course, as you well know. Um, and and I guess his, his point was, and I think even you admitted this later, is that, you know, there's no real evidence on tribulus being good for boosting testosterone. It may have right. some ancillary effects on, I guess, sexual mood or on, um, I guess, you know, sexual, um, I guess, you know, maybe as an aphrodisiac to some degree, but it doesn't really pan out. Uh, and this is part of the reason why Patrick went and focused on deaspartic acid, I guess, is because this one does have some more, I guess, reputable, uh, some more science supporting uh, in animal and human models uh, raising testosterone. Testosterone. So, what is your opinion on, on uh, tribulus and deaspartic acid? Yeah, you actually, uh, yeah, you asked me quite a few uh, compounds. So, I did. I, think <laughs> I just, I just didn't answer your question. <laughs> there were quite a bit. There was a few more questions there. Um, no, I actually get hundreds of questions a day, and I apologize. It's just so hard sometimes to get back to everybody. I try to. Um, I guess I should put you at the top of the list now, huh? Uh, hey, man. <laughs> you owe me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tribulus is interesting. You know, it's been around for so long, and um, you will have people that uh, people that that support it and people that uh, condemn it. Really, um, you know, it's 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 very it's it's a component um, uh, of a lot of controversy. Uh, uh, ultimately, at a lot of. Uh, International Society of Sports Nutrition meetings and things like that. I mean, you'll have grown men fighting and so forth about this, uh, this kind of thing. You know, does it contribute? Does it not? And I think the the thing that has been a problem is, well, we'll kind of even back up a hair here for a second. You know, <laughs> does increasing testosterone yield some displayable? Uh, or at least naturally increasing testosterone for whatever to, to whatever level it may be actually possible. You know, do does that increase in testosterone truly really equate with an increase in mass or or any other tissue set? Really, I mean, is is that going to be the end all be all? Is it simply as easy as saying well, we'll do that? Well, honestly, I'll tell you, you know, the, the the tribulus studies and the reason that there's a lot of confounding offering here is because they're just not long enough. 
I mean, it'll take you four to six weeks to have myofibril change that's worthwhile. Uh, you know what? Hang on a second. I, you know, I listen. I, I, I'm sorry, did my homework this time, buddy. I went and uh, asked Patrick <laughs> Arnold that because you posted that. Actually, I know. I saw. I followed the thread, and I actually asked because I'm not an expert here. I asked Patrick, and he says. And this is a Patrick Arnold's answer is that's not true. You can see it uh, in days, um, I guess, in, in animals or human beings or something like that. That was his response, basically. So you're the doctor. I, I give you the floor. <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can see, you can see um, muscle fiber destruction uh, at that level or to that component. Um, but at the same, at the same time, uh, to suggest said myofibrils have um, uh, reconditioned themselves or restructured themselves, um, that's a process that realistically, even in petri dishes, takes a period of time. Um, there are things I suppose you could do to, to expedite that process, but not, not to any level. I certainly would not not offer days by any stretch. Um, you know, if that were the case, I think you know it'd be pretty easy to. Uh, do some things in the gym and say, hey, well, you know, I'm now, you know, 250 pounds at 5% body fat. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really not that easy a process. I, uh, you know, I, I would actually go rounds with uh, Patrick Arnold on this one. Uh, I, uh, I think, you know, it, and then there may be some things that he's aware of that I'm not. I would never suggest by any stretch that I have seen all the research there is to see. Uh, I certainly won't uh, suggest that I have gone through um, all the data uh, on uh, muscle growth and so forth. Um, kind of like soy, I suppose. But uh, of course, I, 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 I fun or kid in jest. But um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it, it's it's certainly something that you know. Realistically, you're talking all of these tribulus studies were really like four to six weeks in duration. There might have been an eight week. I'm trying to I'm trying to recall back. You know, without the data in front of me, it's very challenging sometimes to recall everything. Um, but but realistically, you're talking about something that's that duration. And and even studies without the use of said agents you know, don't necessarily offer us or project you know data that would say, hey, you know, this is the this is the case. In the in the instance of tribulus itself. Um, you know, even if to stop, and, and, and honestly, there's been a lot of issue with uh, petri analyses and so forth, actually suggesting that you know tribulus itself will increase um, testosterone at all. I think the article you you reference is probably something I had written some time ago uh, called "Tribulus uh, Terrestris uh, um, Worthless or Unjustifiably Chastised." That's right. Um, yeah, it, it was it was something that. It, it kind of just pointed out some of the shortcomings of the studies rather than suggesting I was wholeheartedly gung-ho for tribulus. Um, you certainly won't get steroid-like results. You know, it, it, it's, and, and, and I don't know that there's any over-the-counter that will realistically do that. Um, there may be some things that show promise. Uh, I am a, a diaspartic acid fan, and, and, and I know Patrick uh, sporting his test force would certainly, you know, probably... Uh, uh, thank me for the 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 um, uh, the dip here yeah. on his product. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean realistically, I, I actually talked about uh, diaspartic acid at a, at a at an international society sports nutrition meeting uh, uh, two years ago in Clearwater Beach, and and the data has just been just been great. Actually, I probably uh, have uh, with my company the the, the largest uh, subset of data uh, on this compound in particular. Um, and there are a lot of things that, that are very, very intriguing. 
Uh, again, uh, one thing I do want to caution is that increasing testosterone levels do not always uh, equate to uh, body mass changes. Um, but for a guy who's got low T, though, right, between, say, 2 to 400 uh, nanograms per, per deciliter or whatever, getting it up to between, say, five and 800 could at least make him feel better. Would, would you not agree sure. with that, yeah, maybe? Yeah. Okay. Right, yeah, and there's, a, and there's a lot of other components, true, um, that will actually probably help potentiate, you know, the feeling of well-being um, that are probably above and beyond uh, increases in testosterone. Um, okay. And there, there are a lot of lignans that are present in a lot of these things. There's a lot of uh, different types of uh, extracts and so forth. Now, deaspartic acid in and of itself uh, is not an, an herbal product per se, but you know, it, it's, it's, the data is, is very promising. Do not get me wrong. The data is exceedingly promising. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of discussion about the neuronal uh, side effects that could, uh, you know, we could be in store for. Um, I can tell you for, for one myself, um, and, and I don't know that you can get a bigger uh, thumbs up for anything. Uh, taking it for a year straight um, without break uh, has done wonders. Um, you won't get a bigger a bigger thumbs up than that. Um, does that mean to imply? That, does that mean to imply that you have no concerns about the potential excitotoxicity of deaspartic acid? Is that what I'm hearing you say? Um, that's to say that I think uh, some of it's a little outlandish. Uh, okay. But I don't, I, 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 you know, you're very Are careful. Are you a liar too for the subliminals? Because you have a way of going around my questions. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, it's, 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 it's one of those things that uh, I have to be careful sometimes what I say. You know, I, sure. I don't know is that I would suggest everybody to take the aspartic acid year-round. Sure. Um it's it, 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 it's it's just something that I'm being careful about in particular. This question is a little bit more, uh, maybe shall I say, liability <laughs> protective. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's something that there is exceedingly promising data on. Um, you know, the testosterone increases, and it, and it happens in virtual days. I mean, you compare this to something like a tribulus. I mean, tribulus. You know, during that safe, even that three, five seven, eight-week study, whatever it is, you don't get increases in testosterone. Um, this, I mean, you're talking 33%, some as high as 42% uh, in, in as short as 12, at least days, by, you know, Italian study means, which is... That's you know, right, minus, that's the famous course, study. I mean, they're trying to... Yeah, you're going to hear it quoted all the time, um, but there's a little bit different action here in that you have it working on three levels. You have it working on a level of the pituitary where it's actually, there's, there's going to be no offered negative feedback. So the luxury is, is normally when you increase testosterone, uh, let's say you're injecting, you know, a little sip or something along those lines, you'll get some negative, you know, play. Whereas at the end of the time, you know, we can talk about post-cycle, uh, you know, and there's a lot of uh, negative uh, airplay, so to speak, uh, to the level that sometimes it takes up to 22 months on average uh, for people to even regain sperm counts that were, were sure. once normal. Um, you now you're into a whole here. other segment there on, on PCT and, uh, <laughs> and hormonal manipulation, I guess. Well, um, but, but, but we're talking about testosterone <laughs> boosters. I mean, I think, I think it, to some level it has to come up. What I'm saying is, is that this works in a way that doesn't make that uh, an issue sure that a factor yeah so I mean it's, yeah no I understand it's certainly very very interesting compound 
And we'll have to leave it there, Dana, for another show because, once again, you and I uh, could talk for hours. This is a fascinating uh, subject. I want to thank you once again for being a guest on the show. Uh, this is Brian Cunningham from Quantum Physiques. If you want to get more information from Dana, you can find him on the forums. He's an active member now, guys. Get out there and post and thank him and give him some, uh, some what do you call it, thumbs up or rep quality. And his website is medicalmuscle.net. Once again, this is Brian Cunningham for Quantum Physiques. Stay tuned for next week. We have another great show. Thank you for listening. Quantum Physiques with Brian Cunningham is dedicated to harnessing the power of the holy grail of health, fitness, lifestyle, and success. And you'll hear Quantum Physiques every morning.